I know that I said this to you before, but one of the reasons I preach through books is this, is there are very often passages in the Bible that I would never pick to, to preach from if it was just left up to me. So every now and then I find a, 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 us coming to a passage as we're going through 1 Timothy and we're in chapter 6 now. Uh, I find a passage to be one of those that I probably never would have preached on if not doing things the way that, that we're doing them. It, it has to do with slavery. And you and I look around at the world today and we wonder if slavery really is much of an issue. certainly not an issue for us in the literal sense of the word. There are no people here in, in this room that are enslaved to someone else. There's no one in this room that owns slaves. But does that mean this part of God's word doesn't have anything to do with you and I? And we know that's not true. Uh, Because we understand this, that life in this world goes way beyond us. That we're not the center of everything that takes place on earth. That even though it may be something we have a hard time relating to, at least directly, I'm going to show you ways that we we are, are impacted by this indirectly and so on. But we've been called to go out into the world. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is there's a large part of that world that we live in today that is suffering under the bondage of slavery in all kinds of ways. So it's nothing that you and I can just turn a blind eye to and pretend does not take place. Because it is the reality that so many millions of people in this world live in day in and day out. And if Christians don't stand up against it, who is? So we are in chapter 6. Not in Revelation where my Bibles turn to. <laughs> uh, chapter 6 of First Timothy. Uh, And we're just going to be looking at the first couple of verses here. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And let those who have been believers or have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them as all the more Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Teach and preach these principles. Personally, I have a hard time imagining any kind of a scenario or situation that would tend to bring forth anger frustration actually breed these things contempt hurt as being someone who was enslaved to another person think of the humiliation think of the degradation that takes place we would have a hard time imagining being in a position where we had really no say so at all about anything that had to do with us, that another person made absolutely every decision that had to do with our well-being and our affairs, 
a person who treated us very often as just a simply a piece of property. Someone that we can't say no to. Treated in some cases very similar to a farm animal. And very often sitting by and watching the same standard being imposed upon our wife, her husband, and our children. Now let me ask you, just thinking about it, does that give you warm and fuzzy and cozy feelings inside? Can you imagine enduring something like human bondage? Can you imagine enduring something like human bondage as an unbeliever? But can you imagine enduring something like human bondage as a believer? You see, even though it's not a reality for any of us here in this room, it is a reality for many people in the world today. Do you understand that there are, there's an estimated 30 to 40 million people worldwide who are in literal slavery as we speak. That's a lot of people. What you would find is many of them are in Southeast Asia. Some of them are in Africa. But some of them actually are close to home as far as close as Haiti is. Places where human slavery to some degree is still practiced in this world that we live in. It was a very big part of Paul's world. Slavery was very common in, in Paul's day, and there are estimates that as many as one out of three people were slaves in the Roman Empire. Many of them were acquired by military conquest. Very often people were born into slavery because their parents were slaves, and, and, and their parents before them were slaves. Many of the ancient artifacts have to do with slavery. Very often they find these artifacts, they call them slave collars, and they're, they're metal rings that went on a person's neck or, I guess, on maybe one of their ankles or wrists that was fixed so they couldn't get it off without a whole lot of effort. And very often there was a tag on it, and inscribed on that tag, it said, This I have fled. If you find me, take me back to my master and expect to be rewarded. Can you imagine being one of those people and not being hard-hearted and hardened because of your circumstances? Slave revolts were common. In other words, there were times when a number of slaves would get together and sometimes thousands of slaves would rise up at the same time and they would... They would try to overcome this, and probably the, the most famous of all of them was a guy named Spartacus. He really lived. He really was a real historic person. We've seen the movie with Kirk Douglas in it, which is still shown on TV every now and then, and I've watched it a number of times. And, and just like you find with the Ten Commandments movie that, that Charlton Heston was in, you know, things that don't really follow necessarily according to the Bible. Of course, this isn't in the Bible, but what I'm saying, as far as Spartacus goes, it doesn't really follow the historical record. Spartacus was not crucified. But he died in battle. 
fighting against the Romans in an attempt to free the slaves. Seven or six thousand of his men were crucified. Now, we look at this passage here, and there are people who try to water this down, and they say, well, you know, this Greek word doulos, sometimes it means slaves, but sometimes it can be interpreted just as servant. But let me just tell you this. Anytime it's in relation to a servant, it's a bond servant. In other words, someone who's bound to do what their master has told them to do. So the most logical thing here is Paul is talking about real slavery. There were real slaves in his world. And there was a good number of real slaves in his world. And he knew some of them personally. He knew a guy named Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, right? Who came to Paul when Paul was in Rome. And he also knew his his owner, Philemon, who was a Colossian. And what Paul did seems, it probably surprises most of us. We would think that Paul would receive Onesimus and say, you know what, you were a slave, but now you're a Christian. You're no longer a slave. Don't worry about it and all that other kind of stuff. But Paul sent him back to his master with a letter from him. And that is a book of Philemon that we have in our Bibles. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But if you're familiar with Philemon, we actually did a study through Philemon a couple of years ago. But I want you to know something. When Paul says slavery here, don't try to water this down. He's talking about slavery as you and I understand slavery to be. There are people who have charged. You may have heard people say this. That because the Bible never does outright condemn slavery and it never does come right and say that slavery is a sin. It does not do that. We wish it did. I wish it did, but it doesn't. There are people who have concluded that the, the, the Bible, in, in a sense, is indifferent to slavery and therefore God's indifferent to slavery. Now, I don't know about you, but the God that I know abhors slavery. He hates it. Now, how can I say that even though the Bible doesn't come right out and say that God hates it like that? Uh, I would say that the Bible teaches us many things, and some of those it teaches us directly, and some of those are indirectly. And I'd say this is one of those more indirect things. If you think back all the way in the book of Genesis where there's a, there's a verse there, and it talks about... What should be the consequences of someone who takes the life of another person? And it says there that their life should be, their blood should be shed as well. They should give their life the life they took. What is the reason it just is given for justifying that? It is this. It is because that person is made in God's image. It's because people... The only beings mentioned in all of Scripture that are said to be made in God's image, therefore every person is set apart in the eyes of God because of that. Now tell me, God doesn't hate slavery. When people enslave 
those who are made in his image. And sometimes we're talking about those people themselves. I mean, can, 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 can you even put, wrap your head around this at all, that someone would have the audacity of believing that they can own you? That you are nothing but a piece of property to them. Very often taken from your home by force. Now, we don't think, or some people don't think for a minute that this does not anger God. It angers you, I know. The things that Paul says here are amazing, if not dumbfounding. Let who all who, and remember this, this is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, which will be shared with other people. So we're talking about this letter is written to Christians, written to the church, given to you and I down through the generations. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of honor. Now put your feet in the shoes of that slave or sandals of that slave. If you have sandals, probably you're barefoot. Never had shoes in your whole lifetime. You think it would be an easy thing for you to honor the person that's put you in that position? Sounds like a very high, high thing, you know, expectation here that's almost unrealistic or unreasonable that Paul is putting upon these people. You've heard me say this before, and that is this. Is that the world will not take what we believe seriously until they understand that we're serious about it. Number two, they will not react to us until they see us doing things they don't expect us to do. In other words, if you want to get the attention of the world, do exactly what the world knows you're not going to do. And sometimes you and I have opportunities to do things like this all the time. Every one of us, every week comes, every week goes. You and I have the opportunity to do exceptional things that get the attention of worldly people in a way that if we just talk to them or they, they, they watch us from afar, maybe sometimes they do watch us from afar, but the things they see us do, what they're looking for in us is people who actually practice what they tell everybody else they believe. People today will not trust you unless they see you. They don't think your advice and counsel means deadly unless they see you practicing what you preach. And we can understand that. I've seen things like this happen. A particular person in the room right now was telling me years ago, that uh, 
pulled into a parking lot. There was an empty parking space. And so they just slipped right in the parking space. It was right there in front of them. So they slipped right in there and they, they pull in. And then the next thing they know, they're confronted by this other person that's claiming they stole their parking space. And they're infuriated. What would the average person do? They'd say, well, you know, I got here first. And, you know, I'm sorry, didn't mean to do it or something like that. But they would leave their car. This person said, I'll move my car for you. And they did it. And they bumped into her, this person in the store, the drugstore or whatever they were at. And their demeanor completely changed. Because that was exactly not the response they expected to get at all. Talking with a couple of uh, of the guys just recently, and they're and they're telling me, and I'm gonna gonna not gonna bring their names up either, but it, but they might surprise some of you guys. But they were saying that every time they see anyone on the side of the road that's broken down, they stop. Period. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter. And, and, and the main thing they're looking for is if they need any help, and if they say no, we don't, want to, they keep on going. But if but, 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 but very often they wind up changing tires for people, doing things like that. How many times did we stop? And we see people like this on, a rare, on, you know, on occasion, sitting on the side of the road. Now let me tell you this. If I see a woman by herself on the side of the road trying to change a tire or something like that, I stop. But I don't stop every time I see someone broken down. They stop, and if they get some assurance that the people are okay and they don't need any help, they just keep right on going. But if they need help, then they help them. And why do they do it? One of them was saying they do it because someone did it for them a long time ago, and as a person you would never believe would have done it. It wasn't just one person. He was, he was a student in, in college and, and stranded out somewhere uh, and had a flat tire and, and, and all of that, had the, had the donut or whatever. But this group of guys stopped, and they were... Muslims. And not only helped him change his tire, put the donut on there, but they gave him the money to buy a new one. What I'm saying here, guys, is this. Is you're a slave and you want to get your master's attention in a way that you will not otherwise... Do exactly what he does not expect from you. Treat him with honor. And he will begin to wonder why. How? What is it about this person that makes them different than everybody else? Let's just face it, most of us have lived very good lives. You know, in a lot of ways, easy lives compared to so many other people in the world. God has given us so much. And it's very easy when we're in that position to think, kind of take things for granted. To picture everybody else in the world as kind of being in the same place we're at and 
you know, and all that. We can always come up with reasons why my life has been more difficult than other people's and, you know, this and that and that and this. You understand that this is God speaking through Paul, calling these slaves to be different, to stand out in your circumstances in such a way that God is honored and glorified. And not only that, in a way that is going to make people wonder what is different about you. What do you know that I don't know? You see, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon, but, but, and he doesn't come right in, out and say, and say this, but, 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 but Paul is confident that Philemon, of his own accord, will free Onesimus when he comes. Because he is now a Christian. You and I have a hard time understanding or believing that it would be possible for a Christian, someone that was a Christian, to actually have slaves. Maybe there's some ground for that. I had a hard, I really struggled with this last verse. Let those who have uh, believers uh, as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. And my whole question is, how could a Christian have a slave? How is it possible you could be a Christian and have a slave? Still have a slave. Well, we know this. Even when people are converted, there are no perfect Christians, right? Every person continues to sin, and, and you know, it may be a different way than I'm sinning or somebody else is sinning, but we all continue to sin. We understand there's a vestige of sin left in the best of every one of us. Sin is still an active part of our lives. As much as maybe we hate it and we wish it wasn't, it's still there, Right? So we know there are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect Christians in this room. There are no perfect. There's never been a perfect Christian. The only perfect person is Jesus. We all, as Christians, have had our faults and our failures. Uh, and what we want to do is we want to make some that other people have make them into major sins. But the ones that I'm still stuck in are minor sins. And when we do that, we forget that every sin in the eyes of God is worthy of eternal punishment in hell. There are no major and minor sins. Every sin is a major sin. So just saying that, we shouldn't have the expectation that every Christian that had slaves and became a, or every person that had slaves and became a Christian would just automatically release all of them. Probably some unusual things happened in those days, too, and that was this, is that sometimes when those masters released their, they became Christians and they released their slaves, probably some of their slaves did not want to leave. That's hard for us to imagine, that situation. But what you would have found is this, is very often the masters really treated those people very well. They took very good care of their servants. When I was doing prison ministry when, years ago, just for a little while, 
And I did most of it with fear and trepidation. You know, there's nothing like walking into the prison the first time and then slamming that door behind you and you're thinking, gosh, I hope they remember I'm supposed to get out of here when the time comes. <laughs> but I met this guy, and he was an older guy. I would, I, would have, I would say he's probably 60 years old or something like that. And he was, he was on the point of being released within just a few weeks, and he didn't want to go. He had been in prison for 25 years plus, which tells you he must have done something really bad. But he was terrified of leaving what had become home to him. If he had been given the option, he would have stayed right where he was because the world to him was more fearful than the prison world because that's what he knew. Very often, God is about planting little teeny tiny seeds. The Apostle Paul very often did that with hopes that things would blossom and grow and change. People affected by this gospel would would truly begin to practice, do unto others as I would have others do unto me. Treat other people like I would like to be treated, with dignity. Not based upon what I think they deserve. But based upon what God thinks they deserve. So how can we take this and apply it to ourselves? Well, there's a lot of ways. Let me tell you a story. This is a guy I know personally, a guy that I know pretty well, a guy that I love a lot. Uh, he's a native Ugandan. Uh, and he grew up not believing in God, not knowing Christ. He became addicted to alcohol. At one time was noted as the town drunk of Fort Portal, Uganda. He was drunk all the time. He beat his wife and kids regularly. He treated his wife as if she was his slave. And unfortunately, there are men through the generations who have basically done that and they really think the Bible justifies a man treating his wife in that manner and I'm here to tell you today it does not that servant leadership is the leadership you find in the Bible not the kind of strong arming that takes place very often that true Christians lead their wives by example not by force
But these missionaries from World Harvest Mission bumped into this guy, and they knew what his reputation was and, and all that, and they began witnessing, witnessing to him. And, and lo and behold, the scales began to fall off his eyes, and he began to see himself as he really was, and as other people saw him. And he began to realize that he was in desperate need of help. He was in desperate need of a Savior. And he found that salvation in Jesus Christ. And his life was transformed. And because of that, the, the, wife, the life of his wife was transformed. And his children, who he used to beat all the time, too. I spent time with their family. And let me tell you, they were one of the most lovely, hospitable, kind, gentle, wonderful families I've ever been around in my whole lifetime. But it's because they came to faith. And they were living it. He became a pastor. And planted a church. That now has hundreds of people in it. He was very instrumental in starting the Christian school in Busora that we're a part of. That has 600 plus children in it now. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Springs is not very active when it comes to mission work. Because we had a very big part to do in that. We were the ones who gave the seed money. We're the ones who have paid most of the salary of the headmaster for the last 20-something years. And we give more money to that ministry every year. And it went from one teacher standing under a tree teaching three kids to I don't know how many teachers now and 600 plus kids. It was that same heart, that same mind thought that started Covenant Children's Home. Christians doing what we need to be doing. Not just talking about faith. Not just talking about this. Not just talking about that. But actually living it. Doing it. In ways that other people benefit from it. that other believers would be benefited too by what we do. May we serve not less, but may we serve all the more. You may still be working. Technically, you're not your boss's slave. They pay you for what you do, presumably. Can these principles be taken and applied to that circumstance? You betcha. It comes down to this, guys and gals, is what really defines us. What really, truly, deep down at the heart of all of it, defines who we are. 
That determines what we do. Amen.